Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Robert Jackson joins us today, as he has before. He is the executive director of Great Hearts Institute and has become something of a national leader in classical education at the K-12 level. Uh, The Great Hearts Charter Network in Arizona and Texas that he's been a part of for several years, being one of the major movers of that movement. He is here to tell us where classical education is today and talk about some upcoming issues with the with the Institute. Welcome, Robert. So good to be back with you, Mark. Thanks for the invitation. Classical education has become something of a phenomenon, and you've been on the front lines for several years, so we will tap your expertise to find out what is happening and why. Give us first the numbers on the Great Hearts schools. What's the trend? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Be happy to. Well, it has grown. It's been a boomtown. And I joined the organization. I came out of the academy like yourself about 10 years ago. Came out to Phoenix because at the time they had grown to 7,000 students in probably 16, 17 schools here in the Valley. So Phoenix, Arizona, Valley of the Sun, as they call it. And at the time, they were anticipating moving into a second state, which was a big deal for this organization back in 2013. And they did just that and successfully have have now taken the model into the Lone Star State, Texas, where we have now a significant number of schools. All total between Arizona and Texas, we have 40 schools, including two online entities that have uh, that have popped up and they're serving more than 27,000 students. So the the growth of this thing, again, from seven, right, when I joined 10 years ago to 27,000. Is, is remarkable. Next year, we will be in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So we're going to open up a school there and, and multiple schools in the next couple of years. The year after that, we're, uh, we're primed to enter into Jacksonville, Florida. We'll be working in the northern end of, uh, of the great Sunshine State, uh, back where I went to school back in the day. And so we're excited uh, that our movement is eastward. You know, back in the day, it was go west, young man, for great arts, we must go east. Uh, we've got to get back there and see what we can do to revitalize education, K-12 education. Oh, so you're reaching into new states. I didn't know that. That's right. Now, this isn't coming down from on high, the big numbers, the enrollments, correct? This really is parents coming to you, right? Ordinary people who hear about it and they want their kids to, to join. I wouldn't want to. I actually want to fully, fully vest the parents uh, for the work they're doing. Now, I'm excited to be a part of it, and I've certainly got a role to play, but I'll tell you what, this is all about grassroots. It's all about allowing parents a legitimate choice. And I've talked to a number of folks, and you know these people well, Mark, 
the idea that educational choice is a reality depends on having a choice, having something to choose from. And if all we have are the status quo schools in our locale, or perhaps even some of the up and comers in the charter world, many of them having sort of given up the ghost, having, having, having turned in the direction of the ideological, uh, we find that classical, which as you well know, Mark, is reliant on great books and a fantastic, great conversation that continues down through the generations. Doing that for another generation is what classical is all about. So we really are veering away from the status quo in education, which can be found, again, in district schools, in charter schools, you name it. We want to avoid that, and we want to offer folks a legitimate alternative, a real choice for quality education. But listen, Robert, do we really need kids to read that old, musty, obsolete, irrelevant stuff from the very distant past? <laughs> you frame it up nicely, Mark. You might have been reading too much of a certain uh, gray old lady. I'm not sure. Obsolete, not in the slightest. You and I both know that the perennial questions, what it means to be human, are always with us and are as contemporary as contemporary can be, in part we have attracted parents and these students because they see in the quality of our curriculum and in the quality of our pedagogy. And I can't overemphasize this. It's not enough just to have great books on the shelf. You have to have great teachers, teachers who believe in their subject matter, who believe it's, it's their duty and their responsibility to transmit it to the next generation. We have to have those kind of enthusiastic teachers who love their discipline, love the kids, and are ready to pass something along that's worth passing along because it is perennial. So it's not shop-worn. Uh, it may well have had a long shelf life, but that's because in too true democratic spirit, Mark, we believe in the democracy of the dead. Come on, Mark. It's the stuff that's been voted on over generations, over centuries, and it still keeps coming. It's still beautiful. It's still attractive. Is this attitude, pro-classical, spreading among educators in the public schools and in higher education? Yeah, we've got currently about eight or nine institutions of higher education, all of which are going to be joining us at that event that we'll talk about in a little bit, the National Symposium for Classical. Uh, in part because they have taken note. They have recognized a demand, a market, if you will, for the training of teachers to, to, that are suitable and that are well-equipped to enter into the classrooms of classical schools nationwide. And so you have some of the early adopters like the University of Dallas or Eastern University's Templeton Honors College. Uh, Arizona State University has a school that's dedicated to liberal education. They opened up a master's degree two years ago. Uh, Hillsdale, Hillsdale just opened uh, its own master's in classical education this past fall, earlier, earlier this year, this academic year. Uh, and then we've got a number of other players like Colorado Christian that has an undergraduate degree in classical education. And then a number of other graduate programs that are leaning in this direction that are starting to say, OK, because we believe in great works, because we hold we hold dear a tradition, we're going to try to tailor or shape some of our training, especially graduate training for teachers who are going to enter these schools. So I would say there are probably, yeah, probably eight or nine uh, that I could count in total that have interest in or support of classical education in one form or another. This is great. Really great. Now, what is the Great Hearts Institute? What does it do? Well, we propped up the Great Hearts Institute five years ago this spring 
to serve as a hub, as a research hub, a center that would attract scholars, select scholars, those that we had identified as doing the kind of work in support of liberal education that would be beneficial to classical schools, to the teachers, to the headmasters, and so forth. And we just felt, given our growth and expansion as a charter management organization, that there needed to be something made available to the larger classical movement to show that this is on the rise, that this is a place where we are dedicated to uh, promoting uh, liberal education fully and, 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 and full, you know, wholeheartedly, but to do so with an ever-increasing depth around what it is that we teach. And again, I, I said early, we, we find teachers who love their subject matter. Well, guess what? If you want to provide professional development to those kind of teachers, you go deeper and deeper in the subject they love. So we propped up the Institute to serve as a hub to bring scholarship into K-12 classical. And this would be both as teacher training, it would be for research purposes, and ultimately to promote within higher education an awareness and an interest in K-12 classical. So there would be genuine exchange, genuine kind of symbiosis, the very thing we've been talking about, right? These are growing at the grassroots level, these classical schools. Institutions of higher education are trying to find their bearings at this time. And for those who understand that the tradition is the thing that will sell and the tradition is the thing that is, in fact, alive, you bring those together and you've got, uh, you've got a marriage of, of true minds. And so at uh, the Institute, we're convening. We brought, brought together now over the past four years uh, under the banner of the National Symposium for Classical Education, hundreds, hundreds of classical educators, both inside of Great Hearts, but then way beyond from across the states, wherever a classical school exists, we're reaching out and inviting them to our event, which this year alone is going to have in excess of 600 participants. And we've got 50 institutions of higher education represented got speakers you know, from, from every university that I've mentioned and, and scores more because they're all committed to understanding and going deeper on classical. That's what the Institute's here for, to deepen and to expand the growth of classical ed. So the Institute is, in your, in your mind, to serve as a central meeting place, uh, uh, clearinghouse for classical, classical education and educators. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. A question to apply to charter schools, which is in the public school network. Is there any problem with the classical education curriculum having lots of religious content? Uh, in classrooms, uh, on the syllabus, uh, is there an issue with the public school doing this? Well, uh, we are absolutely devoted to a tradition that very much is drawn from the West. And so Western civilization, as it's been referred to in times past, 
great books or great works for that matter, including the art and the architecture and every other artifice, right, that's come out of the culture making of the West is on display in our schools. It's what we teach. It's what we emphasize. And the fact is that the West, as you well know, Mark, is a very cosmopolitan tradition because when it comes in contact with the truth, when it comes in contact with a certain domain or discipline of study and recognizes its gaps, it begins to fill them in. It begins to sort of open up and draw in the very best that's been thought and said, to borrow that phrase. And so I often think back, right, if we could entertain some of the cosmopolitanism of uh, say the 12th or 13th century, we, we could do uh, better, uh, no better than bringing together the types of minds that once engaged across religious, national, and sectarian lines. That cosmopolitanism is at the heart of the Western tradition. And I say that because is there going to be references to religion? Well, of course, because religion has historically, anthropologically been very much a part of the human experience. But as public schools, we are not here to convert or proselytize or promote any particular religion. In fact, we take seriously that First Amendment that leaves open those associations and those opportunities for each man or woman to articulate his or her conscience. Um, That's where we are. We're trying to fill in and really flesh out an understanding of, uh, of civilization and culture that includes politics, religion, economics, work of every form, the family, that that whole suite, right, that constitutes the human experience needs to be conveyed. And religion is in that mixture, but not being taught in a dogmatic or catechetical way, but rather in terms of to inform, if I can borrow Hirsch's phrase, cultural literacy. One is not culturally literate if one is unaware of Islam, of Jewish and Judaic thought, and certainly of Christianity. These are fundamental. They're woven into the woof of our tradition and of our civilization. They will learn of these things in a fair and thoughtful fashion. Now, the conference coming up. Uh, What will happen this year at the National uh, Conference, uh, the Great Hearts Institute Conference in Phoenix, uh, later in February? Yep. So, We're going after what we will call the tradition today. And so much of what we've been talking about here, Mark, uh, will really be be captured in this event. Two and a half days in which we will explore what it means to receive and to inherit a tradition and how it is that we know the world, human beings, that we know the world through traditions. And that happens just as soon as we learn our mother's tongue, right? Our first language, because that language itself conveys a whole host of illusions of of not only the lexical entries, but all of the connotations and associations and all of the literature and the history that goes behind that language. From the very moment we start speaking, and certainly as we think, Mark, we are inheriting a tradition, we're receiving it, whether we know it or not. So we're going to talk about the tradition this year, and it's really an opportunity for us to give everyone in attendance greater understanding, greater clarity about things like the very thing you just asked me, what is Western civilization, right? What is a tradition? How is culture at work when we are in a school? Uh, What are we doing when we make culture? All of this to say the tradition today is something we want to revitalize and explain or express to this audience 
as that which they are responsible for. Those schools, these schools that identify as classical, are bringing down a longstanding tradition of millennia for the next generation to take hold of and understand for themselves so as to live well, to live in a fashion of flourishing, as Aristotle said. And that's a tradition that we think is worth purveying. What is the profile of the speakers generally? Well, I mentioned that we would be bringing scholars, scholars galore, but I would say the profile is this combination of scholars who know their discipline well and deeply, but who are very interested and supportive of K-12 teachers who are taking that same subject matter and bringing it to seven-year-olds and 14-year-olds. So we have essentially curated uh, 70. We have 70 scholars and master teachers who will be with us this year, more than 70. Uh, They come from across higher education, and then a handful of them are straight from the ranks of the oldest or most uh, mature classical schools in the country. Uh, And they come in chiefly to serve teachers and school leaders uh, so that they can go back to their home schools better uh, equipped, right, to continue to deliver the goods, to bring and to excel, uh, to bring a a quality of education that uh, that is unsurpassed. So the profile is that of scholar and master teacher, somewhere in that mix. Typically, they have 8, 10, upwards of 20 years of experience teaching and in their scholarly domain. And they have, and I I can't overstate this, they have a quality of interest in classical education, kind of a real desire to see this movement uh, propel forward. So they're giving, I got to say, and you know this well because you've been with us, Mark. You're not making a lot of money from that honorarium that I'm handing you, right? This is this is done for the love of the education. Uh, and, and these folks who come together are, I think, renewed in their commitment to classical liberal education because they see fellow travelers, right? They, they've been in the academy. They've, they've been in department wars. They've been in universities where things got nutty. And they come into our ranks and work with our teachers, and they are just... It's an oasis in the desert, right? They're just so thankful to be a part of something that is so filled with joy, so filled with interest and enthusiasm for liberal education. And that's the profile of our typical speaker. Like yourself, Mark, you've been with us, I think, now four years, right? Yes, I I have attended since the beginning of of the meetings. And it's always been a joy. It's been a pleasure. I have to say, Robert, uh, by contrast with the humanities higher education conferences, content, uh, conventions that I've attended, the Modern Language Association annual meeting, everyone there tends to be kind of dour and depressed. Mm-hmm. People are looking around a lot because they're interviewing for jobs. They're looking to get it because you, you, you find mm-hmm. that the job market is just absolutely horrible and the enrollment trends in humanities courses in, in higher ed are, are very poor and you can see that reflected in the people there but not not at all at at your conference and these classical educators in in the k-12 world it's actually been quite uh quite replenishing to attend there's no question uh that joy uh is to be found at the event because again we're gathering folks who are filled with joy at what they have uh, the responsibility that they've been given, the opportunity that they have. And then when they gather together, because so many of these classical schools, Mark, are operating in relative isolation, 
Um, so an organization like Great Hearts with 40 schools, we've got a built-in network. We've got a built-in capacity for, for you know, the free exchange of ideas and, and developing our understanding of, of the tradition. But many of these schools uh, from Minnesota to Florida operate by themselves and they're definitely committed to it and they're certainly filled with joy. But when they come to our conference in Phoenix, I mean, they're just wowed. They're just amazed that there are hundreds and hundreds of others who are in this work and we are together, right? There is, again, a like-mindedness, a sense of being fellow travelers. Why wouldn't you want to come to a gathering like this if you're in classical education? One of the big stories today is that enrollments and applications at classical colleges Mm -hmm. in higher ed are growing just as enrollments applications at other schools are dropping. One reason is that Gen Z is a little smaller than the millennials. Uh, But just about Great Hearts grads, you, you track them, I'm sure. Do a lot of them get the classical bug and want to continue their classical mm-hmm. learning at the next level. And so they do enroll in place like the University of Dallas. Is that happening? They, they do tend to go to institutions of higher education where they can locate uh, either that core curricular sequence that they have come to identify as coherent and meaningful, uh, or if they do go to a more local or regional university, they will uh, seek to or find, they will locate the honors college or a center or institute where liberal education is still, still taken seriously. And so I've, I've been pleased to see that kind of movement, even when graduates or alumni from our schools don't necessarily go off to TAC or, or St. John's, uh, where they are thinking, yeah, but, but where can I find uh, an honors uh, an honors track how can i get into some real content so they're they're more discerning consumers when they enter the university so this is really a natural development from what started 10 years ago when these kids were entering elementary school in third grade in these new cla- uh, schools springing up and they've gone through and it really sticks with them yes well uh, i think we're starting to see increasing interest in classical just because of the very thing you said. There's a, there's a rise or an increase in enrollments. Um, the schools continue to grow uh, and, and more schools are being propped up every day. Um, the educational journalistic community, at least some of them have taken interest. And I've received calls from, you know, the New Yorker and other places in, in, in inquiring, what is this? What is this phenomena and how can we explain it? Um, I think tends to be, uh, you know, sort of center, center right uh, uh, forums or, 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 you know, organizations that are, are taking a look at us. Uh, I, I note, for example, that uh, the Heritage Foundation has been very interested in and supportive of classical education, which, by the way, is something of a turn. It's something of a, of a of change, I would say, in focus. Uh, Heritage's uh, president of the last two years, uh, Roberts, President Roberts, uh, is, uh, is himself has been involved in classical education. And I think he has taken interest in ways that uh, Heritage might not have done five or 10 years ago, where it was a much more agnostic, we're just going to see as many choices pop up as possible. Now there's an understanding that, again, we need real choices. And one of the best choices turns out to be 
a more classical approach. Uh, the American Enterprise Institute uh, has also taken interest in classical education. Max Eden, Robert Pondiskio, both of whom will be coming out uh, to visit with us. Actually, Ian Rowe, Ian Rowe, who's uh, leading the free forum there at AEI, is going to be joining joining us uh, in February. So, so, so all that to say, certain groups that have sufficient discernment to recognize this thing uh, are pointing in our direction, are looking to to see what's happening in classical. Um, and as I think you probably are aware, we're seeing the occasional mainstream, big time, you know, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal article on classical here and there. So uh, I suggest this is the this is the moment we're we're coming into our own, and I hope we we have adequate representation for a broader audience uh, and a growing audience, right, among parents. Have we seen politicians increasingly mm-hmm. getting involved or allowing for more school yep. choice? Right as Governor Ducey did in Arizona yes, last age, year. Yep, what, yep. what was happening there? Well, it has, and uh, it has chiefly because uh, that which we'd sort of hoped for all these years for greater latitude, more mobility, more opportunity for families that might not yet reach one of our schools. Uh, well, for, 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 what are these choice programs about? How do they work? So, so the ESAs, the educational savings accounts now are going to provide uh, families an opportunity to take essentially those dollars that would be allocated from the state for the child and for tuition, take them with them. It's sort of what we used to call backpacks. And of course, others might pejoratively refer to vouchers. But these dollars will, in fact, be available and accessible for use in schools, public or private. And so I think for great hearts in particular, the way this has affected us is made us aware that there are needs and there is a market demand for the private, often the religious school. And we need to take a close look at that so that we can determine if this is something that would be of value to some of the communities where we currently serve. Ours is a public charter and as such follows all of the rules and regulations within the state uh, and, and does so with, uh, you know, with a confidence that we can deliver and deliver at the highest level. Um, But the question of this ESA legislation will be whether private labels, private offerings, religious and otherwise, might be something that Great Hearts could get into in the future. That's actually an open question for us and something we're pursuing. So there's there's more to be told, but I'll I'll have to wait and give you the details when they when they they're made public. And you don't see greater choice for parents producing these specific problems for Great Hearts schools being competitors to you, not when you have a huge waiting list, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. As I said a moment ago, uh, I feel as though educational choice and that entire kind of educational reform movement, the policymakers, the policy analysts have been dedicated to a, a purpose which is is noble in principle, but in practice, there have not been enough choices. I would certainly, we would certainly at Great Hearts love to see private as well as public choices made available where state dollars could in fact support schools of all types. So, and, and by the way, uh, we should, I should state this for the record. The national symposium is equal opportunity open to public, private, and even homeschoolers. We've had a handful of homeschoolers come to the event because they love the content that they're seeing. Um, we are at the symposium very interested in where classical education is being done well, 
so that we can really learn from one another. There's a kind of collective consciousness, a collective uh, wisdom, right, that we're trying to glean from the event. And our private school, often religious uh, classical schools, are doing some of the best work. And so we want to see what they've got and learn from them as well. And how do people find out about the conference? Okay. Easiest way would be to remember this URL, greathearts.institute. Greathearts, all one word, dot institute. That'll flash open our institute page. And the very first thing they'll see is the symposium. Just click right on that symposium. You'll get all the details. The program itself, which runs for two and a half days, late February, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Uh, as I said, we will have 70 more speakers. We'll have institutions from higher ed galore. Uh, we will have workshops for teachers, plenaries for everyone. We will have a deep and we're going to dive into leadership and school culture. I should emphasize that more. Uh, one of the real challenges for the continued growth of classical education is to equip school leaders to intentionally build a school culture. They're going to find out if they go to this webpage just exactly what we're doing. We've got association leaders from across the country representing hundreds of schools. So they will all be there to discuss where do we go from here? What have we learned from our past decades? And where are we going from here in classical education? So greathearts.institute, uh, please check it out. It's been going to be a good time again, I am sure. Robert Jackson, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.